Welcome to Cracking Charity Chat, learning from the leaders with me, Beth Crackles. In each podcast, I aim to give real examples of how things have worked in practice, demonstrate how good leaders approach the given subject area and provide some top tips that people can apply in their own organisation. In this episode, I'm joined by Marie Peacock from the Yorkshire-wide children's cancer charity, Candle Lighters, and we are here to discuss community fundraising. Hello, Marie. Hello, Beth. Nice to be here. Thank you for joining me. First of all, Marie, I wondered if you could give us a bit of background about yourself and a bit about candle lighters as well. Okay, so I did a psychology degree and I've always been interested in people. And I think that that spurred me on into fundraising to understand how to help people and support people, as well as to really understand why people give to charity. So it's a real passion of mine to help. So I work at Candlelighters and Candlelighters support families where a child's been diagnosed with cancer from across Yorkshire and Humber. And we are based in Leeds and that's because Leeds Children's Hospital is the hospital where children are treated for cancer across the area. Um, so we provide financial, emotional and practical support. So this year we need to raise 1.6 million. So I head up the team who raise that money. So we have three community fundraisers, two corporate fundraisers and everything else is, is pretty much me. Okay, and how are you going towards that target? How's it looking? Absolutely brilliant. So we've really developed within the community and the support that we have um, and trying to reach out across Yorkshire as much as possible. Can you tell us about the bus? Obviously, that's about service delivery, really, isn't it? it but is. how does your team interact with the bus? So the bus, uh, unbelievably, has a therapy room on board. So it's all been done out. It looks amazing. And so it's all nicely done out with a seating area. And then, like I said, there's a therapy room where we can do counselling or we can do massage and, and that kind of thing. And it's all fully branded. It, it's very unique to candle lighters. It's a really nice, warm, welcoming space. With being based in Leeds, it's very difficult to cover such a, a big area area and for people to be able to come to us so the bus is a really good way to engage and, and get into those different communities that find it hard potentially to access what we have one of the things that the bus has really helped with is to identify what areas need and um, one area I can give an example of is Hull so the bus isn't really a great way to engage with people in Hull because they they just don't want to come to it but they do they do want our support so yeah it's a, it's a very unique area and so what we've found works in Hollies is to do fun days and open days where families can come in have a bit of time speak to staff access support that they need but the families have a bit of fun as well and that's a great way for us as fundraisers to be able to go out and talk to people as well working alongside services in in, in any way that they deliver is really important for us and, and to work close because there is so much crossover yeah okay so Marie I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about your background in psychology and how that relates to giving and how you interact with people so the the first thing that I wanted to ask was about obviously you're dealing with with people at a really critical and sensitive time in their lives and their and their children's lives and how do you go about engaging with those people? So any family that needs our support, we would never 
make any kind of uh, fundraising ask or approach but obviously everything's around if they want to pick something up we would then engage with somebody so I think we're really sensitive to that um, mm-hmm. so that's the first ask because obviously our families and their well-being is the most important thing yeah. but what we would do as part of for a lot of people part of their journey doing some fundraising giving back is really important to them so it might be after treatment and it might have gone really well and uh, they might want to give back it might be um, in bereavement or it might be as their ongoing treatment and, and everybody's different. So we mm. would work individually and personalise how we work together. So it's really about what the families want to do. And I think that's one of mm. our big challenges is because we would never ask a family, that's then where do we get our fundraising from? Yeah. So that's why we would then we focus on community and try and get yeah. out to other people rather than just the families. Okay. So listening to supporters, whoever you speak to or whoever you read about in the fundraising world they always say you have to listen to your supporters in practice what does that mean i think it's extremely important that if somebody wants to fundraise for you that you talk to them and face to face is the best sometimes that's not possible you go and talk to them and you then listen you have a conversation you ask them why they're doing what they're doing you really need to understand their motivations and what they need and what support they need and and you can only do that by giving them time Mm. the other side of that is you should always ask for feedback so there's absolutely no point us doing things and thinking oh that went great that fundraiser's raised a really good amount of money we've thanked them oh that was a fantastic experience for them was it <laughs> how do we know it was yeah. so it's about asking yeah. for that feedback it's easy to do a survey monkey or something like that where you can actually just go back to them and say how can we do this better what mm. did you like about it what did you not like about it and it's really important to have that feedback and do it quickly I had a situation with some potential major donors a few years ago. Really, they hadn't been engaged for a long time. And I think one of the questions we asked was, why have you traipsed across London on a rainy Wednesday night (laughs) to sit with us? You know, we got everything that we needed from that answer to understand why they did exactly that. So sometimes it's the most fundamental questions, isn't it? That that give you the most information. So when do families tend to come to you and say that they want to fundraise and how do they find out about that? The website, there's lots of information around that they can access. And then we have an office in the clinic where they attend so they can come and talk to us there. We have notice boards and, and things like that. So we have to really promote out. Um, I think the biggest way that people see us is through social media. So if families want to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and, and that kind of thing, they will then engage in that way as well. I think that's that's a big way to reach people very easily. On that point of it being such an emotive cause, thinking about the leadership and motivation of your team. So obviously as community fundraisers, it, it typically has a relatively low return on investment against other income streams. That might not be something that you find. No. (laughs) Yeah, typically it might have a slightly lower one. So it's really important for fundraisers to be able to spot an opportunity and and build that relationship and really, you know, give it rock all to make something happen from nothing really. How do you spot that in a a young fundraiser? What do you sort of look for and how do you nurture that? 
you're looking for the right skills and the right temperament, really, I think. Mm. You're looking for people that are good with people because ultimately you can teach everything else. Mm. You can teach the, the legalities and, and the ways of doing things, but you need somebody that can engage with people, that can listen, but that's not frightened to speak as well. So you're being yeah. someone that's confident yeah. and you're looking for people that make those connections and work together. So the really important thing for my team is that they work together to recognise opportunities. Mm. So you really need a team player. So, for example, if you have somebody that meets somebody and they are doing some fundraising in the community, but they say, I work at this address, it's like, okay, they work there. So how's that going to benefit the organisation? Can we then go into corporate? Can we share those contacts? Can we work together to maximise the opp- on the opportunity? So you need someone that's willing to do that and willing to work together. Mm-hmm. And I think for myself, um, it's recognising in people where they've got that ability. And sometimes where they show their own leadership, so when they use their own initiative, when they actually reach out and say instead of coming to me and saying what do I do with this it's those people that say I've had this great idea I'm going to do this and that's what you're looking for that spark that passion and we have a great program at Candlelighters called Rising Stars so we can recognize that in staff across all different areas of the charity but where we can really identify people and give them the new skills and and, and teach them to develop currently I have a, a fundraiser who's developing into a senior fundraiser role and that's because she's been through this program and she's she's really shining um, and people you know following that that lead and sounds like you've got the infrastructure to support that internally as well yeah so it's a new scheme that we started a year ago but yeah it's absolutely it's just brilliant that we can then support people and develop them up Um, and we're really good with that at at candlelighters we have opportunities every year for an intern from the university so they take their their third year out and have a year working with us in marketing And that's a fantastic opportunity because you bring a new, fresh perspective, new ideas, creativity, and they get something out of it because you can really develop them up. So the other thing that I wanted to ask, you know, the image of the Syrian toddler that drowned at sea and was washed up on shore. I read something recently that that the Swedish Red Cross had seen like a hundred times increase in donations as a result of that from people sort of proactively seeking out where to donate. And linked to that, I've been reading a bit recently about using one individual story to then ask people to give off the back of that. So I was always taught you need to appeal to head and to heart. So you go with a story and then you provide the facts to back that up. But what I've been hearing recently is actually that that one story on its own tends to be more effective than asking and then providing, you know, and 50,000 people are in this situation every year as well. Yeah. So have you got any experience of that? Or... Yeah, I think at Candlelighters we do have very harrowing situations mm-hmm. and people are sometimes willing to share those for us. And those stories, they touch people more than any words could ever touch that we could put together with facts mm. and figures. I think in this day and age, there's a lot of people that are very worried about where they give and what they give and who to. So I think there is a place for the facts and figures because people want to know if they see something that is going to, the money's going to go where it should. Yeah. They're being very cautious. But I think ultimately it's about the heart. It's about what you connect with. People don't give to a cause, they give to people. Mm. So if they see something and they connect with that, then they are likely to give. In that scenario, the charity really is just a vehicle for giving, isn't it? Absolutely. And we need to get better at that, to be honest, because, you know, when things happen, like the Grenfell Tower incident, the charities are not quick enough to react, so Mm. you get lots of different face 
Facebook pages and just giving pages, etc., going online for people to be able to donate to. And actually, the real charities that, that can make a big difference cannot keep up with that. We're not fast enough at that. We need to get better at it. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to move on to th- thinking a bit more about corporate fundraising strategy. And you've already mentioned that your community fundraising encapsulates a lot of different elements can you talk us through your strategic approach a strategy that we take is let's get all this right and then let's begin to grow out so one of the things that we need to look at is a a third-party fundraising strategy so you look at how you can develop different areas so we Mm. we're covering a massive area in Yorkshire there's absolutely no way we can get everywhere Three community fundraisers, yeah. it's absolutely impossible. So what we try and do is obviously we have reactive fundraising, which I'm sure everyone's used to that, yeah. you know, you can't plan for. But at the same time, we try and take the area um, in bits. So we'll concentrate on one particular area and we'll try and work on that area and, and usually identify those areas through what's happening um, in that area at the time. So if we've got concentration of, of children in an area that we've got a lot of families that we're supporting, then we'll we'll start there and then we'll do everything we can and look at all the different opportunities in that area and try and really boost our awareness in that area of, of the charity. And what sort of engagement models do you use? So we have some really great um, fundraising groups that completely run uh, as our own entity, really. We provide the support, but they do a lot of the fundraising. So, for example, we have a, a group in Harrogate that they do a big ball, they do lots of luncheons and that kind of thing, mm. fashion shows, and they have a lot of connections um, in that area. And there is, um, last year it was £90,000. So it's absolutely amazing fundraising Um, and something we couldn't do because we don't know those people personally. So actually, you know, they are our connection. So that's a fantastic way to do the fundraising. And then the team will then support that group to do what they do. So we have a number of of groups across different cities and different areas, um, which is, is a great way to reach those communities and really be involved in those communities. Events wise, we don't do a a massive amount of events purely because our, our main supporter base, our families that are receiving our support so for them being out paying to take part in an event is quite an ask yeah. so we tend to have smaller events that are family friendly so we do things like reindeer runs and bunny hops and, and that kind of thing yeah. and then we have a big fundraiser called the candlelighters awards which we do every year which is not really to fundraise it's to recognize and celebrate fundraising and volunteering but it does raise some money as well yeah. a lot of the things that we do are challenge events and we really try and push those out for so this month for example we've got um, childhood cancer awareness month in september so we're doing a big group skydive so it's encouraging people to take part in something that's going to really make a difference what's the role of digital within your organization absolutely vital and it's getting much more important as well as time goes on we've seen a massive shift um, in how income comes in so we used to have lots of counting money and, and banking checks and things like that and everything is all it's all digital now i would probably say 90 percent of our income comes in online or via backs yeah. and, and that kind of thing so the way that we have to account for money and, and, and manage the money is completely changed which means we know that that's how people want to give mm-hmm. so digital is really important for us to be able to get that money in from people in the way they want to do it. So I think ensuring that we have um, easy ways to to do that, to pay in, easy ways for people to get involved in things that where they can use a card, basic things like yeah, that, yeah. makes a big difference in the when you're out in the community as well. So how do you bring how do you take that out? 
So as a small charity, we don't have a lot of money to spend on digital, you know, payment facilities or, you know, laptops. I think the biggest thing as well is social media. So that's kind of, I think, where's the biggest impact. People expect things instantly. So people post on, on Facebook or send a message to your inbox and they're like, right, okay, we, we, we want this. Can you send me this? And they're expecting an immediate answer. And that's very difficult to manage when you're getting lots and lots and lots of messages and your team are all out at events helping and supporting people. Yeah. So it's quite difficult to manage that. So very big demand is, is digital really on, on time. And we all have to work in a different way. Mm. It's great because you really do get to people very quickly and very easily and you can deal with things. At the same time, I think the, the downside is that, that immediacy. And if somebody puts something out there that's not appropriate, then people see it instantly as well. And it's very difficult to remove anything. So you've got to be really on it and really try and make sure you do everything you need to do to make sure things firstly don't go out that, that you don't want to be heard or seen. But secondly, that you, you really do do your due diligence when you're working with people to make sure they're not going to potentially be people that will put something inappropriate out there. Yeah. Um, and I think the world's moving much more towards more of this. So I think we really need yeah. to... Uh, think and plan ahead uh, for years to come. I think one of the one of the challenges with social media is that a lot of people can see something and like something and comment on something but it doesn't necessarily translate into any action does it? Is that something that you found? Yes exactly yes yeah. so people can like something share it and it can get seen and there's no way to measure that Mm. So say there's an example that you've got an event and you're trying to to get people to, to buy a ticket mm. and lots of people like it and share it and make a comment and they tag all the friends in do you want to go and then nothing happens yeah. and you're like okay there's there's 100 people like this and we've only sold 10 tickets what's going on and I think that the the problem with it there's that immediacy that you really need to react to those people straight away yeah. so part of, of what we have to do is actually contact them and say that's fantastic do you want some more information and, and the other side we've had a, an example this week where we're trying to get some cheers for a, for a run and we put that out on, on Facebook saying that to the people that are taking part are any friends and family coming because we'd love them to be part of our cheering team and give them a t-shirt and all that kind of stuff and nobody's reacting nobody's responding we, we have a, a, a Facebook group for our runners who is a private group and they all share lots of things and support each other on there and when you go onto the group they're all commenting on each other to say oh all my friends are coming but right. nobody's so actually they're doing telling it, they're us. Just not telling yeah, you. they're just not telling us, which means we can't make sure they've got what they need and, and that we're thinking, is anyone turning up? And sometimes it, yeah. people just don't do it and work in the way that you think they will or that you want them to. So again, we have to be really on that and, and be looking through for that. And then we can contact people and say, oh, it's great that, that your, your friends come in, uh, we'll send them a, a T-shirt mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. So you've got to be much more aware. And it takes so much time because you've really got to be looking at it and it's so easy to miss a post on something. I realise that each day is different for a community fundraiser, but is there a typical day that you could talk us through so somebody can get a sense of what that what a typical day looks like yeah I, I think um a, a typical day is that there like you said there's no typical day but I think on the whole it's about responding to emails responding to the social media so a lot of the work of my team is to actually sit down and somebody does that every day and checks the messages respond to people so that's that's a big part of the job in just keeping people communicated with we always diarize everything that's going on so um if somebody's taking part in an event at, at the weekend we'll always make sure that we contact 
about them before, that we wish them good luck, check they've got everything they need. And then, you know, after they've done their event, we, we check up and check that everything was okay. So there's a lot of that kind of work goes on. So it's the stewardship stuff that's really important. And then they might get a phone call from our support centre that says somebody's called in with some money. So they'll go across, they'll meet them, they'll say thank you, they'll take the money, follow all the procedures for cash handling, which is... Um, you know got to be done it's all quite complicated but we do all that take a picture think about okay what can we do with this get permission to to have that pushed out some, for some press work so they might then come back and put it on social media or they might write a press release so there's, there's all that within within the day and then they might have a meeting um, with a new potential um, fundraiser who's got in touch and said that they'd like to organize an event or they'd like to do some fundraising so they might meet with them and then that's all about finding out what they need, what they're wanting to do and offering the right support. And support can be as simple as providing some T-shirts and collecting buckets to as complicated as supporting them with risk assessments or, you know, any illegal advice around fundraising. And then in the evening, so community fundraising is very much not a nine-to-five job yeah, <laughs> so yeah so um, they might then go and do a talk so they might go to a church or they might go to a youth group so there's lots of, of things to do and then the next day they might come in and, and they might go straight to a school assembly so it's very varied but it's all about being confident yeah. in, in being able to put across what the charity does what strikes me from all that is that a community fundraiser has to be arguably a lot more adaptable than any other type of fundraiser absolutely and it, it's difficult doing the role in the sense of like i say a lot of it's um, evenings and weekends so you, you've got a lot of demands on your work-life balance you've got to be able to have yeah. a work-life balance but a lot of things do go on outside of normal hours which then means you take your time back within normal hours and you have a day off but then when you come back in the next day you've got lots more emails and, yeah. and messages to, to catch up on so it is a very very busy role mm-hmm. and it, it's like i say it's not as structured as, as other roles and you have then to be able to recognize potential for other types of fundraising so if you meet a company yeah. and they tell you well actually we've got a foundation well okay can we apply to that foundation to fund something and they have to be able to pick up on all those cues and be able to say actually we can do more with this person or with this group and that's very difficult always been it's always been on your toes and always thinking on your feet yeah it's a very good place to start isn't it if you can get into community fundraising to begin with it arguably gives you a very good grounding for the broader fundraising career as well absolutely i think community fundraising is the place to start for fundraising career you get to see everything and i still see things happening now that i can't believe my eyes sometimes you just you experience so much across such a variety um of of a shocker um, we had one today actually in a community where people have been fundraising for a particular child and this person's a tattoo artist so they have been tattooing the yellow ribbon which is a symbol for childhood cancer for a donation for candle lighters and they had a hundred people queuing out of the door to get this tattoo 900 pounds have raised so far from that so yeah you you just never know what you're going to get and what's going to happen um and the great thing with it is you reach so many different people on so many different levels that it is really exciting and it you know the passion for it is brilliant but it is hard work but you do like i say you, you get a whole range of experience if you can do community fundraising it is a great step then to into further fundraising i wanted to ask you if there is a certain book or person that has inspired you 
I would say that my mum is my inspiration, which sounds a bit corny, but I think it's absolutely true because when I was growing up, I was in a community in a, in a small little village and everybody did fundraising. Everybody did community support. And I was brought up doing that. I used to go to the local church fete and help run a stall. And we used to run youth groups. Or we used to do fundraising for different things that were happening within the community. So I've always been led by my mum to do that. And it's always just been a part of, of me and normal normality. Yeah, it's just your life. Yeah, it's just my life. Yeah. And I think that as it what's inspired me when when I left university, I went to work for for the government. And as much as I loved the role and I loved the people that I worked with, it really didn't inspire me, it didn't motivate me. And I think that's because I like to know that I'm making a difference because mm. that's what I've always done and what I've always been shown is a good thing to do. So what are your top tips that you would give to somebody starting a community fundraising program or looking to grow it it's really very much about the people and making sure you get that right so you have to put yourself into the donor's shoes and to the fundraiser's shoes and get your processes and everything in place to make sure that those fundraisers will get what you would expect so it's developing the supporter journeys it doesn't have to be like a majorly complicated thing it's just as basic as making sure people have what they need and making sure they feel thanked and valued if you do that and you get that right it will build from there and you need to know your charity you need to be able to speak with passion. Mm. If you can't tell people why they should give to you, why should they give to you? And as long as you can do that and you can get that across, you'll do really well. So what you just said about supporter journeys was that it doesn't need to be any more complicated than making sure that people have what they need and that you thank them. And that is something that I will definitely take away from this because when I've worked in larger organisations and there's been big meetings about supporter journey planning, it just... Oh, that makes me feel cold because it makes me think about data and processes and all the rest of it. But at the very core of it, it it's just about making sure people have what they need are communicated with and thanked, isn't it? Absolutely. If you were the donor and you'd given some money and you'd really worked hard, no matter how much it is you've raised, you've really worked hard to do that and nobody says thank you, then it really isn't a good experience. Thank you very much, Marie. It's been lovely speaking to you and hearing more about candlelighters. Thank you very much. It's been great to be asked. Thank you. You're welcome. There are a few key learnings that I took away from my chat with Marie. The first one is that social media is changing the traditional face-to-face model of community fundraising. Of course, community fundraisers still need to get out there and build relationships face-to-face and they must be able to get on the phone quickly and build rapport as well. But it's also essential, as we found out from Marie, that people dedicate time to social media. And importantly, I've seen a lot of posts recently asking how people can translate likes and comments into people signing up for events, for example, or going on to donate. And I think what Marie found is that engaging with these people and interacting with them as soon as they like your page, for example, is a way to convert people Um, from showing an interest into taking action with you. The second thing that I took away is that your organisation is absolutely the vehicle for people giving. People give to people, not organisations. I think that's really important to remember and it has implications in different ways for different charities about the notion of competition between charities. Essentially, we're all after the same pound, but we're about connecting people to people, not people to organisations. 
And the third thing that I took away is that community fundraisers are actually incredible individuals. They have to do everything from getting the money in to thanking and banking to understanding the legalities of fundraising, supporting people to fundraise and actually fundraising themselves, to be able to represent your organisation in the media and dabble in PR. And they have to do this, often remotely, across a very large geographic area. So as Marie suggested, if your first job is or was as a community fundraiser, you're pretty well set up for a good future in fundraising. Thanks very much for listening. I hope you can join us next time.